Now, some of us are chronic worriers. We realize that, hey, and my mama, she was a worrier, and my father, we could talk about how we inherited it. But ultimately, it comes down to a trust factor when it comes to trusting God. Because when, it, when I believe and I have confidence that God is my keeper, then what it does is even when worry comes in, I can't stop it from coming, but I can keep from hosting it. And here's what it comes down to. Worry, you can't stop from dropping by, but the question is, where do you make it comfortable? I think many of us have heard the saying, if you're gonna pray, don't worry. If you're gonna worry, don't pray. Pastor Martin is inside of his sermon series, The King Who Saves. In today's word, he talks about prioritizing the kingdom of God. So then the only question is, how do you prioritize God in your life? Follow along in Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 through 33, and listen as Pastor Martin explains. Now, when we look here in the, this sermon, because it is one sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, earlier on, he speaks to how we should do what we do to glorify God. Then he goes on and he, he furthers, as you, as you follow along, he, he teaches us on fasting. He helps us understand what it means to how we should conduct ourselves. Then he, he talks about putting our treasures up in heaven and not being so concerned about just what we have here, but, but recognizing that we should be putting our treasures in heaven or store them up in heaven. Then he goes on and he, he lets us understand that when, we are, when our perspective is off, he says that the light of the body is the eye, but when your eye is off, everything's off. He says when our perspective is off, it's going to affect everything that we do and say. Then he goes on and he says, you cannot serve two masters. You have to have one or the other. And the other master that he speaks of is the master, Mr., Mr. Money or manna. He says, you cannot serve man and you cannot serve God at the same time because ultimately one is going to outweigh the other. Then he moves into this place that most of us find ourselves at some point in our lives working through worry and concern. It's interesting because as he gets through and he works through and he works up to this point, he actually says to us, he says, why are you so worried? Now, some of us are chronic worriers. We realize that, hey, and my mama, she was a worrier, and my father, and we could talk about how we inherited it. But ultimately, it comes down to a trust factor when it comes to trusting God. Because when, it, when I believe and I have confidence that God is my keeper, then what it does is even when worry comes in, I can't stop it from coming, but I can keep from hosting it. Oh, okay, here's how this works. Somebody might drop by your house. You choose to either bring them in off the porch or leave them on the porch. And here's what it comes down to. Worry, you can't stop from dropping by, but the question is, where do you make, them, make it comfortable? Do you take it in and you have, does, does worry have a guest room in your heart? Does it come in and sit down and, and, and take its shoes off? Or do you, when you find worry coming in and rushing in on you, you begin to speak the word of God or remind yourself of God's faithfulness? Because here's how Jeremiah said it. He says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope that it's been of the Lord's mercies. Here it is, that I have not been consumed. Not just that I had some trouble, but that it didn't overtake me. So because I'm reminded that God has been faithful, in keeping me.
It helps me to understand that I don't have to worry or I don't have to keep house with worry. So although this, where we are, is Jesus's response to worry, what he says in this context should also be consoling but also directive. Because as he, as he sets the tone, he says, why are you worried about all these things? Now, we granted, we understand that Jesus is not discouraging planning, and he's not lifting up irresponsibility. Because when we look here, you can, you can say, hey, well, I'm not going to worry about anything. God got me. Okay. He got you. But don't play the light bill when it comes. You can keep your power with your God got power, but you better send a check. Or you better send an ACH because ultimately your lights will be turned off. So he's not discouraging that. What he's saying is worrying about it. Because sometimes we can become so consumed with a matter that it takes our focus off of the things that are right in front of us. Can't sleep. I can't rest. I can't find myself resting in the peace of God that he promised to give me. Here's something important to recognize. When we look here at the text, Jesus actually says, he says, your father already knows about your needs. He knows the things you need that you hadn't figured out you need yet. How about salvation? You didn't know you needed to be saved until somebody shared the good news that you were lost. Wait a minute, you've been driving your life all this time, going along thinking you're on the right road and didn't know you were lost the whole time. Any drivers here that didn't travel somewhere and you want to look like you knew what you were doing? I can't stand it when my wife tried to tell me some directions. Shouldn't you turn back there? I know where I'm going. So we, we're going in life, and we don't know that we're on the wrong path, and we're making all the wrong turns, and then God sends somebody to tell us, hey, you're in darkness. You're lost. And then the light comes on and you say, wait a minute, you mean to tell me all this time I've been heading in the wrong direction? Well, thanks be to God that he sent somebody to tell me the truth. So he says, your heavenly father already knows what you have need of even before you ask. He's trying to give us comfort and consolation while then also giving us direction. Because he says, since he already knows, and then he says that the Gentiles, those who are still lost, that is their main focus, seeking after all these things. But he says, however you, who come to the knowledge of truth, recognize that there's greater purpose than just trying to gobble up everything you can or obtain everything. Because Jesus says, what benefit or what profit if a man gained the whole world, but watch now, and lost their soul? Do you realize the richest, richest man on the planet does not, does not own the whole world? And with all his riches, Jesus says, even with all that he has, it's still not worth losing your soul. 
So we find ourselves here looking at prioritizing the kingdom. Now, we, let's start with the fact that I, we, I recognize, and I'm not disillusioned to think that we don't have cares in this life and that there's in our life, we have things that are competing for our attention. There is an all-out competition for our attention. Now, think about what that sounds like. Because when we think about competing priorities, oftentimes the difficulty is trying to determine which comes first. How do we understand prioritizing? If you were to talk to a life coach, they may sit down with you and they would begin to say, how can we prioritize? You're stressed out. You've got a lot going on. How do you prioritize the things in your life? And if we consider what those various different areas might be, it will help us to understand why Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. So the first thing that comes to mind is the cares of life or the necessities of life, because he does speak of necessity. We do need clothing, right? We do need to eat. We also have to be concerned with what tomorrow is going to bring and how is that going to affect us. So the cares of life are important or the necessities in life. Then there are the responsibilities and the commitments we've made. We've got children, we've got grandchildren, or we, we have bills, we have uh, mortgages, we have car notes, we have things that we are responsible to respond to. And then we have those around us that we're responsible for. And then we also have to contend with the fact that at some point I do want to enjoy myself. I work hard. I want to relax. I want to have some leisure time. I want to go fishing. I want to go out on my boat. I want to go in my camper. I want to do something that I enjoy. Then we also have what I call distractions, just stuff. Who did what? Oh, she posted. Oh, look, she that's a cute dress she has on. Just things that can grab our attention and hold us hostage for extended periods of time. So we understand there's a competition for our attention. But Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Because what he says before he does, he goes there, he says, for all these, in verse 32, he says, for after all these things, the Gentiles, those that are unbelievers, those that have not come into the knowledge of the truth, he says that's what their motivation is. They are the ones that will step on anyone to get to what they need. They're the ones who portrays this idea, our ideology of dog, eat dog. Only the strong survive. Get all yours and leave none for anybody else. But he says that's their mentality. So I want you to understand that is not how the kingdom of God is intended to function or those who are citizens of the kingdom. Because here's what he says that as you've been born again, as we talked about last week, you become a citizen of heaven. 
And as a citizen of heaven, you have all the rights and the privileges of heaven. And one of those rights and privileges of heaven is that you have God who portrays himself and who's proclaimed himself to be Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And he also has, has, has proclaimed himself to be Jehovah Shammah, the God who is a present help. So here's how it works. Whenever I need, he is my present provider. Which is why he said, don't be so concerned and worried about these things because you have a present provider. Because you are citizens of heaven. Now I wanna stop and make this observation because I don't want you again, I, I wanna state this again that Jesus is not prohibiting planning. He's not prohibiting planning, he's not prohibiting pro preparation, but he is discouraging being overly preoccupied by them to the point that they steer the will of your life. Because oftentimes we become so consumed with what could be that we cannot appreciate what's actually happening. I've been there, been on vacation, wondering what it's going to be like when I get back. I'm out there, I'm like, yeah. My wife said, hey, you, you having a good time? Yeah, I am. <laughs> but the Lord had to teach me that the things you can work with, with your hands, they're for your hands to do. But the things that are bigger than your hands, it should remind you that they're not for your hands. Here's how this works. I was going, uh, Brother Taylor, I was going to get me some gloves. Uh, and this is before coming down here, obviously, because you don't need gloves in Texas. I mean, it gets chilly. You can just put your hands in your pocket. But when you're up there in Indiana and it gets down 10 below zero, you need some gloves. So I'm in the store and I'm looking around and they had some gloves, but they had some smalls and some extra larges. So as I'm trying to put them on, I couldn't get the small on, so I said, this glove is not for me. Then I got the other gloves, but they were too big. I said, these gloves are too big for me. And I realized that those gloves did not belong. They were not made for me. So ultimately, the responsibility is that I understand how my capacity guides my dependency. Hear this now, how my capacity guides my dependency. The things I can do, I don't need to depend on God for. But the things that are beyond me, I have to depend on him. So whatever my capacity is, it speaks to what my capacity is. Because God has, or what he's demonstrated, is that if, if it's too big for me, it's just right for him. Here's another thing. Because most times we're concerned and we worry about the things that feel like they're beyond us. And we forget that if it's beyond us, then God is the one who's able to respond to it. So we talk about prioritizing and the, the, the definition for, for priority is the fact or condition of being regarded or treated as more important. And I want to share this one commentary as I was doing my study. One commentary said it this way. He said, the disciple, a person who's following Jesus, the disciple who values the reign of God over his life or her life and who diligently pursues his right, righteous living 
can trust God to satisfy his needs. That when I recognize I'm being cared for or I'm being taken care of by my heavenly father, it reminds me that I, my priorities have to be in alignment with his priorities. He says, because even though you see the grass and it just withers or just cut and it's thrown away and God still decks them out beautifully, how much more is he concerned about you? So we're reminded to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. Now, I want to say this because as we consider further, it's important for us to recognize that no matter how we find ourselves and whatever station we find ourselves in, at some point in time, we're going to be faced with having to recalibrate our priorities. No matter where you are, no matter where you've been, if you've, if you've had a job that you had multiple things that were coming at you, multiple projects that were assigned to you, but I want to do something because I believe that this helps us. Jesus references Solomon in the text. He says, just like Solomon with all of his splendor. So I want to do a quick case study using Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we find that Solomon does a few things that I want to highlight for us today that I believe will help us to understand what it means and how it looks to actually prioritize God. If you're there, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 4, you find the first thing that, that happens is that Solomon seeks God. In verse 4, here's what it says. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. So first. Solomon seeks God. If you go to verse number five, you find that God, knowing that why Solomon has come, he asks Solomon a question in verse, a question in verse five, and he asks him, he says, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, God asked, what shall I give you? Look at verse number six. In verse number six, Solomon humbles himself before God, and then he acknowledges God's mercy and his grace. In verse number six, Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. The latter part of that verse, the B portion, he says, you have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So he said, he's now talking about himself. He acknowledges God's mercy upon David and his grace, but then he, said, he recognizes that he is blessed by that same grace to be on the throne. Then in verse, next we see that he calibrates or recalibrates his station before God because now he's ascending to the throne. He's going to be the man, but he realizes that the man has to be underneath God. He says, in verse 7, he says, Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out and come in. 
Verse number eight, and your servant is, is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people too no, numerous to, to number. He, he recognizes that, yes, I am being called to be the king, but I understand that you are the leader. Then we see that he prioritizes God's purposes above his own. In verse number nine, therefore give to your servant an understanding heart, here it is, to judge not my people, but to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? He understood that, God, I must prioritize my leadership of that which you've claimed for yourself. Then finally, God is pleased with him prioritizing him. Because in verse number 10, the, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked him. Now, any time the Bible says when a man's please, ways pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace. Solomon experienced such peace during his reign that he had very few opposition because he pleased the Lord. Now look at verse number 11. Because after God is pleased, then God honors and blesses him. I need all three of those verses, 11, 12, and 13. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for your, yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall be any like you arise after you. Look at verse 13. Then he says, and I have also given you what you have not asked for. I have given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. Seeking first the kingdom of, his, of heaven, God says, because you prioritize me and my purposes, I'll take care of that other stuff. Here's how this works. I love this testimony. We were pursuing, I was, as a student, we were, we, I was on a team. We were going to, uh, to New York to, to help share with the, the, the information about the college, but also to encourage them. It was a Christian college, Andrews University. And so they'd ask us, it was a sacrifice, but hey, I said, okay, I'll do it if we're going to go help other young people. Now, my first flight had taken place maybe about a couple years earlier. I was excited about that. And when I was, this is back when they was, used to, they used to uh, have a separation of the first class. They served food. Before they served the food, they would close the, the curtain. And so I remember peeking through and seeing that there's more going on up there than is going on back here. And I said, Lord, I would, I would love to see what it's like. So on this trip, we're in the airport, and we're, we're college students, we're broke, we're just glad to be able to bring a bag, right? So we're there, and the young lady comes from behind the counter, and she comes over and spots us directly. She says, would you guys like to go in the first class? Said, we would love to do that, but we don't have any money <laughs> to do any more than what we're doing. 
She said, oh, it won't cost you anything. We had some people that didn't show, and we've got some empty seats. <laughs> I said, well, wait, you say now. You mean to tell me <laughs> that we're going to sit up there for free? So we go up and, you know, we're all important. So we go sit down and the others sit up there looking around. So how are these young people sitting up here with us? I said, yes, you know. And she said, uh, Mr. Martin, I was like, oh, well, George is okay. I'm just a kid. Uh, she said, she says, uh, but Mr. Martin, uh, which meal would you like? We have chicken and we have lasagna. I said, oh, that's hard to choose. But I'll take the chicken. She came and she brought a little tray and it had some, a little salt shaker and a little pepper shaker and it had, a, a, had some uh, utensils that were actually metal. And I said, whoa. When we got there, they gave us a, 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 a farewell, asked if we want to take any sodas with us. They said, no, we're good. It's been great. Thank you for your service. Then I'm reminded of what God promised, that seeking first the kingdom of heaven we were going after souls. We were going after helping other young people know that they can come to know Jesus and in also attend a college where they can walk in their faith. We were going after souls and God just added to us things that we didn't even ask for because he says, and all these things shall be added to you. says, but you got to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and these things will be added. That leads me to my first point. You said all that, and you just now get to the first point? <laughs> because I'm going to run through these points. It's, I just need to make the points. Now, I've, I've, I've preached a sermon. I just want to make my points. The first point was, is rather, that Jesus was kingdom-focused. He was kingdom-focused. Do you realize that Jesus so often referred to the kingdom that Matthew records him using the term kingdom, but specifically not just the word kingdom, but referring to his kingdom 49 times. Luke records 36 times that he refers to his kingdom and Mark 13 times. And Mark is the smallest gospel. And even in that, that short gospel, 13 times he makes reference but here's something else because he says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, and it's righteousness. So here's what we understand. That Jesus taught the virtues of the kingdom. He taught the virtues of the kingdom. Here's the first virtue, truth. He says, I am the way, I am the truth. The things that I'm saying to you, they are, they are the truth. The next one was grace. When you go back and you look at his teachings, you'll find that grace is always there. He's always speaking of showing grace to one, other, one another. But he also taught the virtue of love because the kingdom is based around the foundation or on the foundation of love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Then he taught the virtue of servanthood. He says, I didn't come to serve, I came to serve. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. So he taught us that a virtue of the kingdom is not that you're always trying to get somebody to do something for you. You're looking for ways to do something for someone else. Someone said it this way, I'm blessed to be a blessing. 
Then he, he also taught self-control or restraint. Because we have to be taught to not go overboard, don't we? We try to get it out. You know, we try to get it all in at once. I'm always trying to tell the children, listen, we got to go. They don't never want the fun to end. We can be there all day. We didn't read, we didn't jump, we didn't sing, we didn't laugh, smiled, spent money. And I'm saying it's time to go. But just one is time to go. Because our instinct is if we love something or like something or it grabs our attention to indulge it as much as we can. But the kingdom teaches restraint and being able to control ourselves because sometimes when our emotions are running us, we'll get out of hand. You ever said something beyond that moment, the Holy Spirit said, stop, leave it alone, and you said, no, I got to get this last. Do you know the last word is never the last word? I've tried it. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to say this last thing. I'm going to shut this thing down. And I shut it down. I'm ready to drop the mic and walk away. Oh, but one more thing. No. <laughs> so we have to understand restraint within the kingdom and self-control. But also one of the virtues of the kingdom is justice or impartiality. Because the grace of God has been extended to all men, no matter where they've come from and who they are, he extends his grace and his love to them. So the kingdom understands, those who are kingdom citizens understand that as a member of the society of the kingdom of heaven, that we must also not be partial. Because if the kingdom is going to expand and God prompts you to tell someone the good news of the kingdom, but they're not familiar to you or they're not similar to you, would you tell them? For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved those you like. So the kingdom principle or the virtue is that we're not partial but impartial. And then finally, the kingdom virtue that is important to tie to all of this is that we are humble or humility. Because one of the things that the society of today is struggling with is this idea of me and having my time in the sun. Everybody wants to be famous. Preachers all on TikTok. Where is that in the Bible? You ain't in full-time ministry to make TikTok videos. Because here's our responsibility and the mission to lift up the Savior. If you have access to a million followers, they don't need to see you. That's where you Share the good news. But we chase, there are those that are chasing celebrity. I want to be able to walk in and people know him, Brother Tim. Hey, Pastor, how you doing? Yes. Follow me on TikTok. 
What about me? I wanted you to, I'm right here. I don't need to follow. I want to talk now. Because even Jesus, when he would heal somebody, because his, his fame was growing, people were, everywhere he went, they were, people were emptying out cities to come and hear him. But he said, don't go tell nobody what I just did. Because he was showing the principle of humility in the kingdom. He was saying, don't do what you do to be seen. Do it that it might expand the... Y'all preaching with me. I'm already to point number two. Point number two, Jesus was kingdom mission absorbed. He was completely absorbed with the kingdom. Everything you look at, because here's, what, here's a question I would ask you. If we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, how important is evangelism and outreach to the kingdom and the earth? Because you understand that as the good news spreads through witnessing, through testimony, through living epistles, the kingdom of God expands because every person who hears the good news and sees the transformative power of God and accepts Christ as Lord and Savior, we've added another citizen to the kingdom. But here's something to note. The first thing that Jesus does after he proclaims that the kingdom of heaven is, is, is here, he begins to evangelize. In Matthew chapter 4, earlier on in Matthew's gospel, in ver chapter 4, verse 17 and verse 19 through 19, he says, for from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18, and Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Verse 19, then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, after he proclaims the kingdom of heaven is now, it's happening. He then says, come, follow me. So ultimately, this idea of follow me was what he was saying when he says, go ye therefore and make disciples. Or he says, I will make you fishers of men. Anybody ever gone fishing? Well, I know, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't, I'm going to teach you because I like to fish. I'll say it this way. I like fishing, but I love catching. And I haven't done much fishing because I haven't been much catching. <laughs> I don't know where the holes are. These brothers around here won't tell me. They said, Pastor, I call, we call 50 crappie. Oh, where's that spot? Well, you said a little spot down there, you know, we go to that. But, <laughs> but when, when we going to go down there? I want to go down there too. I got my rods already in the, in the car. Okay. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go, we'll go. I don't know, they must be intimidated. I might go fish all the fish out. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> but when you go fishing, the key is you are aiming to catch fish. And depending on the fish you're trying to catch, you might change up the bait. So for the fish... Like bluegill, they're the ones around at the bank. They'll eat anything. You just, you just put a piece of bread and ball up and drop down. If it's moving in the water, they, they attack it. But some other fish, you've got to put a bit more effort in. What am I trying to say? Sometimes somebody's ripe and ready. You just need to just let them know, hey, Jesus loves you. And they're like, yes, tears are dreaming, streaming down their eyes and they accept Jesus. Other times, you may have to cast a few times. 
Those are those who have, have said, hey, I, I don't know about church. I heard about that stuff before, but I, I'm kind of listening, but I'm not really sure. You might have to cast a few more times to, to attract them in. And you might have to change your bait a few times to make sure you're using the right bait. Maybe I came on too aggressive. Maybe I'm going to lay back a little bit. Maybe I'm just going to talk to them about how God has blessed me. But here's another one. Sometimes you use what's called a dragnet. Jesus told a parable about the dragnet. And the way it looks is that it's a net with some weights around the edge, and you throw it out, you fling it out. And so the weights draw it down to the bottom. And when you begin to pull the drawstring, it comes in, the weights gather, and it collects everything. So Jesus said, that's how the kingdom is supposed to look. Sometimes you might be specific, but other times you might say, I'm willing to catch whatever's biting or whatever's available. And what I mean by that is because sometimes when I'm fishing, I only want certain fish, but when I'm fishing for the kingdom, I want whosoever will let them come. Okay, because here our mission at Amity is to know God Watch now and to that's the mission of the kingdom. As you come to know his goodness, you share the good news with somebody else. Jesus' primarily primary preaching assignment was the kingdom of heaven. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15. I'm just going to read these real quick. Now, after, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke chapter 4 and verse 43 says, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God for the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. Jesus said, my purpose was to come and preach the good news of the kingdom. Third and final point. If our king was so consumed or so focused on the kingdom, so should we. We should have the same passion for the loss. Because notice, when we, if we go back and you go back and look at that fourth chapter of Matthew in verse 20, when Jesus said to those young men with Peter and Andrew, says, hey, come follow me, the Bible records that they immediately dropped their nets and said, we're going to follow you. That is the attitude that Jesus is portraying here in our text for the day. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But it's important for us to make sure that we have our focus on the right kingdom. Because here is how uh, John describes it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if, the love, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Notice we, earlier on in, this, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said you can't serve money, and God, because ultimately you're going to give more attention to one than you give the other. And here John says, when you, when you consume with the love of the world, there's not going to be enough room for the love of God. 
Here's how it works. Because here's how Jesus says we're supposed to love God with all your with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. He says you should be consumed with trying to love God so there's enough room for you to have love for the world. Do you appreciate things? Absolutely. But do you, does that pursuit of those things consume you? Absolutely not. Because here's how Jesus describes, or the Bible describes Satan as the ruler of this world. So when I say the right kingdom, because Satan is reigning in the earth. John said it this way in John chapter 12, verse 13, 31 rather. It says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He says, Satan is the ruler of the world. Now I want to make this clear because what that's saying is not so much that he, he owns the world, but he exerts great influence over the world's systems. Great influence. Here's what he said about it. He tried to tempt Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the, the word that became flesh. And the Bible says that all things were made by him and nothing was made that was made except through him. He made the world. And here's how Satan tempts him. In Luke chapter 4, verse 5 to 6, it says, then, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to Jesus, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. What he was referring to when he says given to me is in the Garden of Eden, God had, had placed Adam and Eve in the earth. He says, and you have dominion over the earth. When Eve and Adam ate of the fruit, they, get, they handed that dominion to Satan, not that they said, hey, here, take it, but, but now he knew how to guide them or to use them or to take authority in their lives through deception. That's why the Bible says, put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the deceptions, and the tricks of Satan. Have you noticed that that's the only armor you have and your armor is for deception? So he understood that he now had authority over them because he knew what he needed to do to get to them. So my final word for today. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. What he was saying is that we should be preoccupied we're pursuing the things of God and his righteousness. Oftentimes, the great temptation that we face is trying to hold on to enough of the old man to feel legit. We try to know what's going on in the world, and I said this before, we try to find a good middle point but I want you to see this because I've done it before. You may have forgotten it, but I'll show it again because I think you need it today. We find a middle point and we try to find that middle point, Jesus and the world. I'm gonna stay right in the middle, pastor. I like it here, it's comfortable. The problem is the world is getting further from God. 
So your middle point is getting further from God. Because in order to stay in the middle, you got to move closer to them to stay in the middle. And the middle point is being recalibrated every day. So every day that the world gets further away, it's taking you while you're trying to find the midpoint, you're getting further away from Jesus. But here's what he said, stop seeking the middle, but seek the kingdom. And all these other things will be added to you. Become preoccupied with the kingdom. And he says, and I'll occupy the office of supplying your need. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes. Visit us at AmityBC.org. Until next week, be blessed.